0: In this episode of The Steve Greaves Podcast, I talk with David Geyer, music director of the South Dakota Symphony Orchestra. David and I discuss how the orchestra is a tool of connection. We talk about his programming philosophy, his outreach efforts, and all the ways David sees the South Dakota Symphony Orchestra as a tool for connection in his community. This is The Steve Greaves Podcast. Hi, David, how are you today? Thank you for joining us.
1: I'm well, thank you, Steve.
0: David, not all of my listeners are sort of classical music lovers. They're not all plugged in. Many of them live on the coasts. So can you give us just a brief bio, uh, you know, a LinkedIn profile of who you are, what your interests are, what your strengths are?
1: I guess I start with graduating from the University of Michigan, and I I apprenticed with the Philadelphia Orchestra for a year, Um, ended up going to Europe on a Fulbright getting my conducting career started in Europe and then came back and I was an assistant conductor with the New York Philharmonic uh, for 15 years but the last five years overlapped with the position I hold now as music director of the South Dakota Symphony.
0: When you were younger prior to college you played an instrument I assume?
1: Yes I, I started out actually singing in children's choirs at the age of four and then picked up piano and then the trumpet you know around middle school age or so and uh thought, went to when I went to conservatory I thought I was going to be a trumpet player but then mm. I went I, I picked up a stick and the heavens opened and said you will do this
0: oh oh so so when you were a child it was not like I'm going to be a conductor someday it was like maybe I'll be a musician maybe I'll be a trumpet player it wasn't like conducting track from age 12
1: that's true but what flavor of musician I would become was was to be determined.
0: Sure. Okay. Just to clarify, because a lot of our a lot of our listeners too are, are, are coastal people. Are you a New Yorker? Are you from New Jersey, or from somewhere else?
1: You know, it's hard to say because uh, I mean, I was actually born in Texas, but we moved when I was one and a half. I oh. uh, we we moved quite a bit. Uh, you know, from Midwest, East Coast, uh, sometimes in the South. And, but I landed the University of Michigan for my studies and then moved, basically moved to New York for the rest of my life until I came to South Dakota.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's tell us a little bit about that. Um, how was that transition? I mean, it was, I had lived in northern Maine, rural Maine. I went to, I taught for a year up there. I went to my master's degree in rural Maine. I lived out in rural Colorado, but still, when I moved from South, to South Dakota, just the lack of trees were, were, was very, you know, apparent to me. It was very surprising. So you, you, you kind of did both jobs: as assistant at the New York Phil, and uh, music director of South Dakota Symphony for a little while. How was that transition, and how was the the move? I, I mean, people listening know it's it's got to be cheaper to live in South Dakota than it is to live in New York, right?
1: Yes, I mean, it's it, everything's a trade-off, right? I mean, life is simpler, easier, friendlier. Um, in, in a lot of ways but um, but you know you, you can't get a decent bagel I mean come on forget about right. it <laughs> even a slice of pizza you know I, sometimes I feel like cut I'd cut off some extremity for that. It was I don't know this this orchestra in this place is quite an extraordinary thing. I mean these these Norwegian Lutherans out here they they love their music. The orchestra is about to turn 100. This is our 99th season we're about to mark on. And so from the very beginning, I mean, the, the state is only like 130 years old. So it was the people were serious about their music. And it was evident to me when I came and conducted for the first time that these people really wanted, you know, artistic vision. They wanted to grow. They wanted to do significant things. And, you know, it just I didn't imagine that I would find what I was looking for in a place like South Dakota. but. Compared to the, you know, the East Coast jobs, for instance, that I had been looking at as an assistant at the Philharmonic, I mean, this was, like, fantastic.
0: Super. Yeah, I had a, a similar experience uh, before I started at South Dakota State University. Uh, it was between SDSU and an East Coast college, and I thought it would be an easy decision just to stay closer to home or where I was comfortable. Um but you know the culture, especially of singing, as you said, the Norwegian Lutherans is is so strong here, and I'm I was very happy, and it wasn't a hard decision at all. And because my my wife's from out here, and she's like, just trust me, um, you know, you're not gonna have to sell them the on the idea of choral singing and on, and music in general. So I, I think you're right about that. Um, now we're gonna speak really globally. What do you think your role is as a you know music director, artistic director of an of a orchestra? To uh, make connections in the community.
1: To me, that's paramount, um, and honestly, I'm not really sure where I where I got that because it wasn't was it wasn't because it was demonstrated to me at the New York Philharmonic. I, I was immediately on the lookout when I this is my first music director position here, so I was immediately on the lookout for, for how the orchestra had been connected to the community, what kind of things they were doing to serve. The community, whether you know, educationally or otherwise, and uh, looking to expand on that, and I would say that that the the orchestra here has distinguished itself in in several different ways during that period. The first was a commitment to contemporary music. That was the first thing that people uh, that caught people's attention sure. it was you know the fact that we had residencies with Pulitzer Prize winning composers and all this sort of stuff, but but probably the thing we're known most for now is this community engagement aspect, principally for uh, the, the Lakota Music Project, which, sure, sure. which I, I began to develop this, this project during, at the end of my first year was when it began, and uh, it took several years to, to, to get up and running and find funding for, but now over 10 years, and the idea behind the lakota music project is that we can that we can address racial tensions, racial disparities better by sharing what we love than by focusing on what makes us different certainly and that's proven itself over and over again uh, and it's it's a new kind of of engagement for most in the orchestra world being that we we sit down with our potential partners and we listen a lot. Yeah, uh, we don't come in with a lot of preconceived ideas about what programs we're going to do and how what that's going to look like. It's the the first questions are, you know, what do you need? What what can you imagine that we can that we can build here that will be impactful for you and for the larger community? How can we l- How can we as a larger community learn more about you through this partnership of music? And that has borne fruit through the Lakota project, but now that has actually blossomed into an even bigger project called Bridging Cultures, uh, which has taken us uh, into engagements with the Arab community, the Chinese community, uh, Sudanese and Somali refugees, uh, Mexican uh, communities. We we need to be able to build community through the music that we create together. So that's the whole idea behind it. Right. It's been a wonderful journey.
0: Right. Right. There, I don't want to say there are so many misconceptions about sort of symphony orchestras or you know professional arts organizations but i think that uh, if you have a cursory knowledge of the orchestra you you generally think it's this it's this museum of um you know european white male art from hundreds of years ago and and maybe if it's a really cutting edge orchestra they'll play something from the 1970s or or something like that and it's, and i mean there's a little bit of truth to that if you if you look at the way um orchestras program major orchestras I would say um, but you're decidedly not that and that's and that's refreshing but that that's a that that takes intentionality I think you, ha, you, you don't just come upon that saying well you know this is what I learned in school we, we perform these Lakota pieces and, and do this um, am, am I correct in assuming that that's not really <laughs> what track you were on at Michigan or wherever
1: I think that we have to serve the, the, the purpose of both museum and gallery like we we need we need the new works on the wall, alongside the old works. They inform each other. Right. Um, we have a treasure trove of 500 years worth of great music, that we play. And I, you know, despite all of this great stuff that we've been able to do and get recognized for and all of that, I still maintain that the that the greatest service that a symphony orchestra can be to its community is simply to play great music, right? And to make it available. To as many people as possible. But we can it's not it's not an either or proposition. It's definitely a both and.
0: Right, right, right. And you know, there's you do I'm I'm sure you do a significant amount of outreach, sort of educational outreach. Um students, young people coming to the coming to rehearsals or performances. Is that true? I'm assuming that
1: Yes, we do. We also have it's quite unique in an orchestra and community our size, but we have We have a core full-time musicians, a string quartet and a woodwind quintet. You know, when it's a non-orchestra week, they're out there playing, you know, doing these educational programs in the schools and they're in, you know, they're in, you know, retirement communities and that's sort of normal stuff. But we also have another program called Music is Medicine Mm. where we're in the hospitals. Ah. And and not just public areas. I mean, this has developed over the course of several years where we have, Musicians that will play in cancer infusion bays will have a, an ensemble that will go and play at uh, at behavioral health, for instance, uh, you know, or there's, a you know, uh, one area, one place called Abilities, which is really, you know, th- these are people who are who are disabled in, in a multitude of different ways. And, uh, you know, we just we, we have great people working with our orchestra. So our wind quintet will go in there and. And they'll play and they'll dance with the people who just want to get up and dance. They'll, you know, they'll just make a big deal out of it. So it's, it's a really different model, a very different way of connecting with, with all these different facets of the community.
0: Right, right. And and in addition to all that, you have jeans and classics and movie music night or, I mean, things that are just a little more, I mean, mainstream. I, I think mm-hmm. those things serve a purpose. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a, but people come and they enjoy listening to, um, I know Sticks or Boston or Kansas has a sort of a, a tour with this. Uh, they enjoy that. And there's there's value in that. That's <laughs> as well as everything else you mentioned.
1: You know, it, it they you know you talk about increasing the orchestra's footprint in the community. There's, there are people who will come to a program of video game music that won't come to anything else you do, and you know studies have been done for decades now about the attrition from people who, go to pops concerts that that would then become you know symphony goers, and that it's it's like two percent or something, you know, if that so it's that's it can't be the reason you're doing it honestly, orchestras do pops concerts for for revenue purposes sure um that's that's the main thing we've gotten away from the rock shows honestly
0: okay
1: um you don't need a, a you know eighty people playing whole notes in back of a you know of a cover band to to make for an evening but but the movie music you know John Williams concerts and. Yes, yes. That sort of stuff, even, even what they call live to film, like we did, you know, the film Jurassic Park with John Williams' complete score played live. Mm-hmm. You know, those those can have value, and and uh, and it's not bad music. I mean, it's actually really well, well composed music. So uh, we actually enjoy playing it um, so, as well. So and then there's like you know, like Ben Folds has been here, for instance. That's an artist who who actually writes for the orchestra to play. And that, that can be satisfying on another level. And then Ben gets up <laughs> after the intermission and waxes philosophical for 10 minutes about the value of a symphony orchestra in your community. <laughs> like, you know, what what's better than that? Right, right,
0: right. He does your marketing for you. And I don't, right. I, I don't think we should apologize for making money. None of these gigs, David, are, are full-time, 52 weeks out of the year, even if you're in New York. So what are you doing the... How much are you obligated to be in South Dakota? What is your contract there? And, and what do you do with the, the rest of your time, sort of musically first?
1: Well, I think uh, my contract has evolved over the last 17 years. It was very specific when I first came because it was not a requirement to live here. Mm. And I didn't. The, and I began by commuting from, from New Jersey, um, uh, New York City area out here to do the 17 weeks a year in my contract. But then we decided to move here and uh, bring, you know, move our family out here. And and, uh, and so, it, you know, being present, I was, you know, more than willing when I was wasn't guest conducting somewhere, I would, you know, I would pitch in and, you know, help with fundraising and do all of those things. So now it's it's a very natural sort of symbiotic relationship my my contract is now one page instead of like 17 pages sure, sure. and uh, and you know it, because we trust each other um, and uh, and it's really uh, you know a good relationship everybody knows that everyone has the, the the institution and the community's best interests at heart so so that's a good thing but uh, but they give me a lot of leeway you know like I yeah. I, for instance, I struck up a relationship with the Thailand Philharmonic about five years ago, and I go two or three times a year to Thailand now, not during COVID, but, um, but so, you know, and they give me the freedom to do that if I need to, to invite a guest conductor for a concert or something like that. They're fine with that. Um, our musicians are not on contract in the summer, so I do, um, I do a fair amount of guest conducting, also teaching festival work, um and and that sort of thing as well musically yeah
0: yeah i thought it was interesting what, uh, to see you again when I, I had moved in moved to chicago because there you were uh i don't assisting or consulting or some something with that chicago Bach, Bach project and i said all right well you know i know this <laughs> i know this guy um is that still happening by the way i'm just curious because i'm a little out of touch with chicago
1: no, actually, it's not. So that, the reason I was there is because John Nelson, who was the conductor for that, was, is a mentor of mine for over 30 years now. Um, and uh, I actually ended up stepping in the last year and conducting B minor mass for him uh. because he got ill. And I, you could say I killed the program because it never, it never went on after that. But, but no, it, it's, um, I think it, it kind of served the purpose for which it was created. Yeah. Um, and John was just not, not able to do it, continue to do it. So, you know, it made sense for it to come to close. Sure, sure.
0: You, you mentioned the C word, COVID. How are you adapting to that? How is the programming and the symphony program look for this upcoming year?
1: Um, well, (laughs) it's, it's downsized, you know, uh, we met, we met March 12th, um, the last concert we played was March 7th, and, uh, to the institution's credit, the board of directors basically said, look, let's take care of our people and not worry about the programming. Let's, let's not cut salaries, um, and, and let's, let's just let go of it. So we were supposed to start our, our season with the complete Fidelio of Beethoven. Uh, That was our contribution to the 250th anniversary of Beethoven. We were supposed to end with Bruckner's Night Symphony. And, you know, like, so we had, you know, pretty big plans for this 99th season. Um, But, you know, we we cut it back and we spent, you know, months um, reconstructing the season, but also like very carefully looking at the safety protocols and realizing that we were going to need to be nimble and adapt on you know at a moment's notice right all the way through for every single program so every program has a plan a b c and so on so what we've come up with now we're planning on opening our season on october 3rd with the complete brandenburg concertos of bach so that comes from a um the the ensembles are relatively small so we can socially distance on stage all the musicians can be six feet apart and in masks the audience will be required to wear masks and also socially distanced um and the but but also the the thing that came into play was what music um do we need to play and do our audiences need to hear coming back to the concert hall after these six months plus of isolation. Right, right. Um, and the sadness that's gone with it, and you know, honestly, it's hard to, uh, I, I can't think of another composer who marries joy and sorrow so pointedly as Bach. Indeed. So that's, that, that's the reasoning for that particular program.
0: Gotcha, I got you. I mean, even in my little context at church, you know, both of our audiences probably skew a little older uh, so yeah. the symphony and the and and the and the church. So I'm I'm trying to you know keep everyone healthy. Um, we actually have have to be we are singers are recommended to be even even further apart, ten feet apart, because of the aerosols that are expended while singing. Um, so I'm doing my first rehearsal, weather permitting, tomorrow night outside. We have a little courtyard uh, that'll fit us. I'll roll a keyboard out there, and we've been basically doing virtual services. And it's foolhardy for me to plan, you can't do this, but um, I plan basically two to three weeks ahead of time, I mean, for, for the virtual service, but now we're trying to engage people and involve people again. I'm not, I'm, I'm learning on the fly, um, sort of the virtual choir thing, how to do the tracks and I, I, I'm not, maybe for Christmas we'll have something and I'll be, Capable of doing that, but it's it's just, it's just a whole new world out there, and we're you know uh, we're trying to stay alive and as they say and thrive at the same time and serve our communities um, no matter how large or small they may be. Um, last question, David. Just I know these people work hard, and at one point during our time together. Um, you mentioned some, some little life hacks that you did, or maybe you mentioned somebody else that you wear the same clothes every day, cause it, you don't have to think about it. Like you wear the same type of clothes. You have black shirts or jeans. Maybe I had you confused, is that, is that you? Is that you with that?
1: My wife's shaking her head. She's the one with the uniform every day with the black, <laughs> black white clothes. No, I think it's it's probably somebody else. Oh, you know? Okay,
0: okay. But what when you're not conducting in South Dakota and Sioux Falls or guest conducting, what do you do to recreate a little bit? How do you how do you recharge?
1: Well, for me, it's mostly spiritual. Um, it's uh, um, I would say that even more important than, than music to me is, is my Christian faith. And so that's, that I, a lot, I put a lot of effort there. Um, I say effort, effort's not even the right, right word. It brings me a lot of joy. And I do, I do a lot of, um, a lot of ministry work in addition to the musical work. Like I I work with a, with an organization in Europe called Crescendo, Mm -hmm. which is, um, which is, um. It's a christian organization it's a it's a, um, uh, it's a network of professional classical and jazz musicians who are also christian and there's it's been around for about thirty five years and so I go do a festival, conducted a festival for them every summer and now I'm working to help bring that ministry over to this side of the Atlantic because nothing like it exists here sure sure in in the, in, in the u s and so like just today I was on I was on the phone with a uh, with a guy in New York City who is uh, he's with Intervarsity, which is a parachurch organization's campus ministry group, and he's in charge of all the arts for for you know for Intervarsity for New York City. So he's working at Juilliard, Manhattan School, New School, stuff like that. So we were to- just talking about you know ways that we can connect the professional musicians within this. Within this network to what he's doing and setting up mentoring for for younger musicians and as not just students, but also people who have just graduated and who are auditioning and freelancing and trying to find their way in the world. And um, So that that kind of thing brings me a lot of joy. And so I it's really, really no um, no burden to expend energy on that kind of thing,
0: sure, sure, well, thank you. I mean, I guess it 's another misconception out, out there. you know when you do what you love it 's not work, but I mean this is work, even in my my old days. I would go um, thanksgiving to Christmas between my job at SDSU, my job at church, my job with my community choir, and i 'm going to you know do a mall in the night visitors and part one of Messiah just on that free weekend you know i a rehearsal or a performance every day for a month, and I'm tired, frankly, on December 26th. I mean, I was worn out. It's itself, I mean, it was my own darn fault, but... um I love what I'm doing, but I, I actually did need a little bit of a break occasionally. Okay, well, well, thank David, I, I thank you so much for, for taking a little bit of time with, with, with Steve. I've always appreciated that. I, I remember just, you know, in, uh, when I was in Augustana a, a year ago, I oh, let's go have lunch with David and make, make time for me to have a little lunch and to catch up and I, I really appreciate it. So thank you so much.
1: Well, it's a pleasure, Steve. It's always good to see you. So stay in touch and we'll get together next time around.
0: I want to thank David Geyer for joining me today on the show and remind all of you to support your local orchestra, your local choir, your local dance troupe, your local arts organizations. The arts really keep our communities alive and vibrant. This is Steve Greaves. Until next time, this is the Steve Greaves Podcast.